0: This is KMUW Wichita Public Radio. Engage ICT Democracy on Tap is a community engagement event of KMUW Wichita. The following event took place on May 8th at Roxy's Downtown. Okay, you guys, we're going to go ahead and get started. I know there's still people going through the food line. Usually I try to wait for you, but uh, there Roxy's has um, another... Another thing to do this evening after we finish, so we're going to try to wrap up just a little bit early tonight so that uh, they're more comfortable. Um, I'm Sarah Jane Crespo. Welcome you all to Engage ICT Democracy on Tap. We're really excited to have you all here for this important conversation that we have tonight. Um, Our series on the environment is a three-parter, and last month we started with climate, Um, And we will wrap up the series uh, in June, on June 5th, with sustainability. But tonight, it's all about energy. So we're going to get started here in just a moment. I want to thank our sponsors. Firstly, Roxy's Downtown for the venue and the food. The Wichita Public Library for the resources guides that they provide, which we have um, at our info table over here. Um, And on that note, there are also resources from previous Engage ICT events that we've had just since we began, so you can learn about a lot of stuff if you come and take a few of those resource guides home with you. And you can also see Engage ICT videos on engageict.org. If you go to our website, you can uh, click on past events and see videos and photos and all kinds of stuff there. Um, Let's uh, let's have a round of applause and thanks to our sponsors. (laughs) Um, Also, I want to let you all know, uh, in case you hadn't heard, KMUW is having a 5K. We're putting on our very own 5K next Saturday, May 19th, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and it will support events like Engage ICT and local news that we produce at KMUW, um, and we can offer you a discount of $10 off of the $35 registration fee, which is a pretty awesome discount. Um, you just go to KMUW.org to sign up for the race. You can walk or run. Um, and in the discount code, type in ENGAGEICT in all caps and you'll get $10 off. So hopefully you all can join us for the race. Um, also, the uh, Roxie's has some drink specials tonight. That uh, that the servers can tell you about. Uh, one called Angel of Independence sounds interesting. Eastside Nights, a red or white sangria, which are really good here, uh, and also Dos Equis Amber and Pacifico are all drink specials tonight. So, um, let's see what else. So on the subject of energy, I did want to brag that KMUW recently had solar panels installed on the roof of our location in Old Town, yeah, we're very excited also. (laughs) And it provides enough energy for us to broadcast uh, from our control room at the radio station. So we're, we're at least that far along and we're very happy about that. Um, Also, you'll see table tents on a lot of the tables there in front of you. Uh, ITC Great Plains is sponsor of our expanded energy and environment coverage throughout Kansas, and that expanded coverage is why we have Brian Grimmett, which leads me into our uh, introductions of our panelists. Uh, Brian is our energy and environment reporter. He's fairly new to this station. Uh, Brian, why don't you talk about your experience and some things that you've learned so far in covering energy and environment stories in Kansas. Uh,
1: so I've been here uh, in Wichita working for KMUW since last November, so only about six months, but uh, I previously worked for five years uh, at a different NPR station in Salt Lake City, and I covered the state legislature there. Um, So I'm not new to reporting, but I am new to Kansas reporting and to energy and environment reporting. And it's been really fascinating as I've kind of dived headfirst into uh, the different issues surrounding both energy production and energy consumption um, uh, that kind of drives the state, whether that's issues surrounding oil and gas or, you know, learning and, and trying to report on the potential merger of West Star with Great Plains Energy. So it's uh, been pretty fascinating.
0: Thank you. Welcome, Brian. Our next uh, panelist is Zach Pastora with the Kansas Sierra Club. Zach, will you explain what it is you do and how the efforts of the Sierra Club have evolved over the years?
2: Sure. Um, my name is Zach. I'm from Tonganoxie, Kansas, Nice cruise down here to be with you all. Thanks for having me. Um, State lobbyist for the Kansas Sierra Club. This is my seventh year now. Uh, seven's a lucky number, so it's been good. Um, we De- Debated. A, there, we go. there we go. Okay. Thank Trust you. the mic. <laughs> uh, and we've. Uh, I've had a good time. You know, meet with uh, state lawmakers and try to encourage them to adopt environmentally friendly policy. We deal with water issues, energy issues. Uh, agricultural issues, a number of, uh, anything that affects the environment, I probably have some sort of say on it. So uh, uh, it has it's been a, 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 a dream job uh, per se. I'm glad I only have to do it five months, but uh, it's been really good. So uh, the Sierra Club has been, the uh, Kansas chapter uh, is the largest environmental uh, grassroots organization in the state of Kansas. Uh, the national chapter is the oldest and largest uh, grassroots organization nationally. The Kansas chapter has been around for 40 years now.
0: Thank you. Our next panelist is Tammy Ray with Westar and Energy. Um, How long have you been at Westar and what are the biggest changes that you've seen? Did I pronounce your last name right? You did, yes
3: Ray, thank you very much. (laughs) Um, I've been at Westar um, a little over 10 years. Um, When I think about the biggest changes we've made in the last 10 years, it would probably be um, our investment in renewables. When I first started at Westar, we were really just talking about that. We had a few wind farms, and it was kind of cool, but since then it became a much more integral part of who we are as a company and our commitment to providing renewables to our customers.
0: Thank you. Um, Next on the line we have Tim Hess with Black Hills Energy. Um, Can you describe your path and your work at Black Hills Energy and maybe share a challenge that you're working on?
4: Sure. Uh, Thank you, Sarah. Uh, The mic. Can you hear me? All right, so, well, thank you. And uh, I've actually, as far as length of time uh, in the utility business, I think this is my 40th year that I've done this. I've done both electric and gas, I've done the non-jurisdictional, non-regulated. So, uh, but I've been with Black Hills Energy for about 30 years doing the, uh, working primarily on natural gas uh, services. And it, as far as what I do, I, I uh, promote the use of natural gas for, for uh, vehicles, for natural gas vehicles, and, and working with station developers to install CNG or compressed natural gas uh, dispensing and compression. And also work uh, with uh, a number of companies and, and with Black Hills. Uh, promoting the use of liquid natural gas for either peak shaving or as load growth opportunities, too. So um, as far as the second part of that question uh, was...
0: Um, A challenge that you're working on.
4: A challenge that I'm working on. Well, uh, actually, it's related more to the liquid natural gas side right now where uh, it's really a new endeavor, and it's an endeavor that... uh, Uh, on the growth side that utilities typically don't pursue, but it's using liquid natural gas to go out and and promote uh, growth on the utility side. And as far as the customer is concerned, they really see no difference in being served uh, natural gas from uh, from the liquid side versus the traditional side off of a pipeline.
0: And I just want to follow up with you because you have 40 years of experience there. Do you want to talk a little bit about the evolution of the, over that time frame, or is there something that kind of pops out to you?
4: I'm not sure we've got enough time. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, I think the most interesting part that I've, I've noted over my career is, is when, when I started in this business, it was, it, it, it was really a regulated business that... Um, is regulated by the, by the uh, public service commissions of each state. And it kind of got away from that uh, where it was going down the deregulated or, or non-regulated path and so that customers had choice. Uh, it's kind of migrated back now towards the more traditional side of it where uh, we have tariffs in place that uh, basically tell uh, us, as far as what the application is, how to serve a customer. So uh, it's really kind of ebbed and flowed as far as a regulated site.
0: Interesting. Um, our final panelist this evening is Susan Erlenwine with the Sedgwick County Environmental Resources Department. Um, and we're pleased to have Susan with us through all three of these environment discussions uh, to provide some continuity from one conversation to the next. Um, Susan, share how your work relates to the subject of energy locally.
5: Okay, with the uh, environmental department, we've, I consider it an umbrella. We cover all sorts of uh, environmental issues. And I did work with the interest bank arena, not only demolishing the buildings and making sure that was done correctly as far as mercury switches in the building being taken out, recycling all the brick and metal that we could, but in the uh, arena itself, putting in LED lights, making sure we had as much energy efficiency as we could through the windows that were used and the insulation. Uh, We do that with other county buildings as well as far as retrofitting what we can as finances allow us to, and also new buildings that are going in that are county owned. So we try to do the right thing. The hardest thing about that is working with the politicians.
0: Thanks, Susan. (laughs) Let's have a round of applause to welcome our panel tonight. Now, as we get going, as questions occur to you, uh, write them down on one of our question slips that should be on all of the tables. If you don't see a question slip, kind of raise your hand. Alexis will come around uh, to collect them. Um, Where are you, Alexis? Oh, Haley will do it? No. Sorry. We'll figure that out. Someone will come around to collect the questions and um, we, will, um, we will get them answered here by our panel. So we'll go ahead and jump in here. And uh, Brian, I'd like to start with you. If you can kind of give us a rundown on different types of energy, what they're used for and what they could be used for, um, just sort of give us uh, an overview of the landscape
1: trying to keep it <clears throat> pretty simple mostly just because uh if i go any deeper I'll probably say something incorrect so <laughs> um but but, but just kind of generally when, when we talk about energy uh, you know I think a lot of people you know the first thing they think of is you know oil uh natural gas so you've got oil which we produce quite a bit of here in the state of Kansas um that is used to you know, turn into motor fuel, that kind of thing. Uh, you get natural gas that's used for a number of different things, including heating homes, and um, as you were saying, more and more as uh, electricity generation as well. Uh, then we've got coal, which is, it takes the largest share uh, of what we use to produce our electricity. Uh, I think it's about 36% in, in around that area of, of our electricity generation comes from coal. Uh, then you've got wind and solar. We, we start talking about the renewable energy sources. Uh, those have been growing, especially the, the the wind resources here in this state. Um, have I've seen pretty tremendous growth in the in the past decade. Uh, solar is is a lot slower here in this state. Um, I'm not sure if that'll change in time in the near future, uh, but it's it's definitely some area where there could be uh, a, quite a bit of growth. Uh, then we do have the nuclear power plant um, here in Kansas as well, Wolf Creek. Um, I won't talk too much in depth about that, but there are some interesting interesting issues surrounding that facility and, and its lifespan and how long it'll last and how much we can afford to keep it open, that kind of thing. I'm sure you could talk much more about that than I could. Um, but that is an interesting, nuclear is, is an interesting, part of the, the question of, of our electricity generation going forward, um, because it is pretty clean. I mean, there are some definitely some issues there with d- disposing of the, the waste, but um, it, it's really actually a pretty clean source of energy, and so how that centers into our clean future, if you wanna call it that, um, there are some big questions there. Uh, what are some of the other major... Energy sources, I mean those are those are kind of the big ones, petroleum, natural gas, uh, the, the coal generation for electricity, renewable energy sources, those, those are kind of the, when we're talking about energy I think, uh, and, and then there are smaller ones, there's hydroelectricity, I mean when we start talking about gen- electricity generation, there's hydro, um, which isn't very big in this state, but it is big nationally, it's a, it's a big producer, uh, and then you've got biomass, that kind of stuff. Um, which I'm not sure. Do we have any biomass in the state? We, do. we don't. We don't. We don't. Have landfill gas, we okay. We have landfill gas. Okay. So that, that's a quick overview. Thank you. <laughs> Susan, go ahead. Go ahead.
5: We, we do have ICM that uses uh, biofuel to make ethanol. And so you have some of those uh, plants in the state, one right here in Cedric County.
0: Um, And because of a few things that you've said, Brian, I want to go ahead and talk a little bit more about the nuclear power plant, so we'll we'll go to you, Tammy. Um, Wolf Creek Generating Station near Burlington, Kansas, uh, almost half owned by West Star and the other half by Kansas City, and it looks like that merger is happening in the near future. Um, And, of course, these two aren't competitors because they serve different regions, as my understanding, but uh, how will this affect consumers? Um, and how uh, renewable, if, if how renewable is nuclear?
3: Sure. So I'm not sure that in through the course of the merger, the nuclear plant and the ownership of it will have an impact on consumers. You know, from a we- from Westar perspective, we see nuclear as sort of our refrigerator running. It's that plant. It's that base load. It's going all the time. We it's that thing in the background that we're going to use. Um, as much as we can. Because when it co- comes to cost of generation, nuclear is the cheapest way we can generate power when it comes, co- because there's not a fuel source, right? So in the world of energy, it's a very affordable way to generate. And um, as Brian alluded to, it's emission free. So, um, you know, on any given day, and I looked, uh, it, I know it was last week, Wolf Creek's actually down at the moment for refueling, so we're not generating from Wolf. There's no nuclear power coming to your house today at all. But um, when Wolf Creek is running along with wind like we had today, about 57% of the energy coming to a home for a West Westar customer is emission free when you think about renewables and um, nuclear. So from our perspective, I'm sure we'll continue to invest in um, Wolf Creek. It was in the last few years certified again for another 25 years, so I don't see it going away anytime soon. Again, it's gonna be that thing in the background that's doing its job, it's doing it in a clean way and we will continue to operate as such. Zach, did you want to jump
2: in? Yeah, I, the, uh, the, I think, you know, 20% of our electricity in Kansas comes from nuclear power. It's a big power plant. The only thing I would say about the nuclear is it is cheap once you get it, go- once you get it going. It's one of the most expensive to get going in the startup. Um, as uh, Wolf Creek ages, uh, you know, we just worry about the water supply. Uh, with John, Red- John Redmond w- Reservoir, which we had silting in. We just dug some of it out, so we have a little bit more of a lifespan on that. But uh, environmentally, we think sometimes it's, it's tough with that water supply element connected to nuclear to keep enough water for that nuclear plant to keep going. It's expensive to dredge, and so um, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how nuclear goes in the United States because it could go to smaller nuclear plants uh, across the country instead of large uh, more expensive types of nuclear plants that could go micro nuclear facilities hmm. whether that gets past uh, The uh, energy folks and national security folks is a question right.
3: and just to expand because there's always a lot of emotion around a new nu- Around nuclear and whatever size, but clearly we have the technology for small nuclear We have what 27 nuclear subs floating around out in the ocean today that are powered completely with small-scale nuclear so will someone in the, you know, microgrid situation or small scale, will that become a part of our energy future? I don't know, we're speculating here, but it's certainly, we know the technology's there, we're using it today in a different application. I just can't imagine it's gonna be very long before someone makes the jump to take that same application out of the ocean and put it on dry land. But Westar West has no plans for that, let me just <laughs> politically say that right now. This is just me talking.
0: Tammy, I don't know if you can follow up with this since, you know, it's, you've been approved for another 25 years with that plant, but are there maybe like a few major possibilities for when this plant does need to be retired?
3: Yeah, no one about? has shared that with me personally <laughs> to say in 25 years when we decommission nuclear. I sort of, ch- I get the opportunity to speak to college students and high school students and I always put that challenge before them. I'm not the one who knows what we're going to do when we lose 20% of our base load when that nuclear pants not there. But someone out there has, is thinking about that today and they're considering its impact on the environment. So, although I don't know, I, I do really believe that there will be something and whether it is, maybe it is a smaller scale cleaner nuclear, certainly Europe and the rest of the world is looking at that and if they have 25 years to get it right, maybe we can remove some of the emotion and some of the, the concern around it. I, I don't know. So I, I can't speak to that sp- specifically, but I do really firmly believe we have a generation of kids who are going to get us there. We just have to have faith in them to do it.
0: We're really jumping in here. I, I was planning to start with some softballs, <laughs> 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 but it seems to come down to a question of which, which uh, I don't know if it's all exactly waste, but like what end effect are we most comfortable with? The radioactive, you know, uh, result or the emissions or, you know, how, do any of you have a thought on how to kind of even get to an answer there? Go ahead, Susan.
5: There are so many different types of energy sources. All of them have their pros and cons. And it's very hard to balance the pros and cons. You can look at Wind turbines and wind energy, and uh, birds and bats are struck by the turbines as they're flying through and migrating. And bats do migrate. So you have those issues. If you have uh, solar or any of them, how do you store the energy so it's available for peak times when you may have stored it on off peak times or gained the energy that way? So, uh, so all of them have their issues. We know the air emissions from the fossil fuels that Brian mentioned earlier, the natural gas, (coughs) the oil. And I think the thing is to look at, petroleum is used for so many things, uh, plastics and others, that it's a shame to be using it for mobile fuel, and that's something we need to look at, mobile fuel versus uh, stationary uses of energy. How can we differentiate? How can we use one better than another that's out there? Uh, And our part of the country, we, we don't even think of tidal energy, wave energy, hydroelectric energy. There's so many choices out there that are very local. Solar energy wouldn't work as well in Seattle with all the rain they get. Wind energy wouldn't work well in Florida, where 10 miles an hour wind is a windy day. But it works well here. So you have to look at locality and the pros and cons of each, but they all have pros and cons.
0: Thank you. Um, Tim, to some extent, natural gas is helping us reduce our use of coal. Uh, could the price of natural gas go up, though, with increased use, and what would happen if, if so?
4: That's a great question. Uh, my experience is, has been uh, in, in looking at that over recent years where, uh, uh, EPA has had impact on on the coal uh, product, and I should mention uh, full disclosure that Black Hills is also a coal company. We we mine it and we burn it in in our power plants. But uh, uh, what we saw during the uh, the last oh, probably dozen years or so is a number of coal-fired plants transferred their their energy from coal over to natural gas or new plants were built that, that are burning natural gas. They, they do consume a tremendous amount of natural gas when they burn but uh, what you would see today if you look at pricing as far as natural gas is we are either flat or slightly less than where we were so it really hasn't had a major impact on the on the market as far as natural gas as a commodity.
0: Um, an audience question here: What is net energy metering? Does anyone? I don't know what this uh, is. I don't know be who me, to ask. Right? So <laughs> okay.
3: d- um net energy metering refers to a relationship between a, home, a, a producer of solar and their relationship with the grid. So, Kansas is a net metering state. So that's a Kansas law. A lot of people want to associate net metering with a utility decision. The utilities never make a decision to net meter that's uh, that is a kansas law that was um, put into effect in 2010 i believe originally so net energy net metered energy is the excess generation a homeowner who's generating the portion of their own power through whatever resource you assume they're using 90 percent of the power they generate in their home but there are moments in time when that energy comes back out on the grid the credit that they get for that is is the net metered energy so in kansas we give them a one for one credit today so for every excess every unit of excess energy they send us they essentially get one for free so they're getting the retail value for excess energy that isn't the same in all states and many states are looking at valuing it differently i mean austin texas for example values their net metered energy higher than traditional but New York or, or Arizona yeah. may value it lower. So every state's different. For us, it's a one-for-one one retail rate in Kansas.
1: And not to take this in a completely different direction, but, but that question it's – I'm a reporter. It's what I do. But but as she brings up an important point, as, as the discussion, and not just in Kansas, but across the United States, as the discussion of – of what the, the I hate using this word because it just makes people's eyes gloss over, but it's called distributed generation. So people who who have solar panels or windmills at their house and, and produce their own electricity. As the debate over how that works and how it 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 interconnects to the existing grid, uh, that question of, of net metering is is a big one. And how much do you pay back to someone who's giving into the system? the the one-to-one retail is, is there's there's lots of debates, and I don't have the answer to this, Um, but but there's lots of debates that saying, well, that might be too much of a value. That that electricity that they're getting back isn't necessarily worth that retail price that you're paying, that seven cents a kilowatt hour that you're paying, and some people say it's worth more, and some people say it's worth a whole lot less, but that is a very contentious, yeah, part of the debate, And, and figuring that out is gonna be key, to really making the system fair for all and, and fair for, the, for those who, who do have solar panels and, and that their pricing structure is fair and also fair for the people who don't have solar and are still paying into that system that provides electricity for, for everybody. So I just wanna kinda point out that, that that question of what is the value of someone's excess solar energy, that's a big deal and it's something that hasn't been figured out or decided yet.
5: And just to add to that, California's now passed laws saying all new developments in the future have to have solar panels, whether they're on the roof or in the yard.
3: And, uh, or do they have to have it or they have to have them wired for it? I think it's the new construction, but at the same time, it's they're a, not valuing the solar that's coming back on the grid. Right. Right. They're right. just, they're putting solar mm-hmm. on, which makes... Great sense in California because policy there supports that. That comes from their, their being, their policy is driving solar, but the cost of their electricity what th-
5: is... What i read said they would have to have it. They had a price range of twenty-five dollars to $35,000 structure to add this. And uh, they said if you're adding onto the house substantially, th- you, you have to, to do to, it as, yeah. th- as well. They have
3: great, po- again, great policy in that state because that is the... That is the mindset and the attitude there, right? They're very comfortable subsidizing solar. They're very comfortable paying um, what it takes to have that. They're very comfortable making uh, modifications to the grid. California about every afternoon runs into a zero power situation where they have more power coming on the grid than they can get rid of. So they actually go into negative pricing. So they're, they're going to drive technology with that and utility-scale batteries and everyone's still trying to figure that out. No one's really got it right yet, but, but California will, will definitely drive that. And as we all say, where California goes, the rest of us will follow. It'll just be 30 years later, but we'll get there.
0: I want to follow that with two things, because what you had mentioned earlier is the emotions that people feel when they, you know, are addressing these different energy uh, options. Um, And how, like, what is, in your mind, the difference, and this is a question for everyone, the difference between California and Kansas emotionally, and what, um, you know, beyond that, um, how can we, you know, well, what are the... What are the ways to get to another place if we choose to go there? Yeah, this is maybe Zach. <laughs> Good to lobbying that up. question,
2: maybe. Uh, y- you know, uh, I think one thing that we haven't talked about that I think that works for our state, uh, we're conservative state. Energy conservation, saving electricity at your household or your business, so you don't have to use more electricity. Um, same could be said for heat. Uh, so in in those ways, um, I think. Kansans are smart people start use uh, energy um, Smarter Um, Use better buildings, so we use less electricity and less heat um, so we can get by uh, Get more with less if that makes sense. I also think uh, we've For electricity we've used uh, a couple different uh, Evolved things one we have a regional power market right now the Southwest Park Power Pool. We got 14 some states in that uh, regional power pool, and as a collective, we've been able to reduce um, energy prices uh, because we're buying and sharing more of it collectively. I think another thing is we're starting to use more uh, energy locally in Kansas too, which is exciting. You know, we said uh, coal's around 30 some, 36% of our use. That's all coming from Wyoming for the most part. We uh, ship it by rail into Kansas, and I think uh, we have enough wind, uh, we're one of the sunniest states, not too many people know that we're just as sunny as Florida. Um, we can use solar, and then the, the, the kind of the game changer would be energy storage. If we can use uh, some of those energy storage techniques, it's right on the horizon, I think, we can keep some of that energy in a battery, in a reserve, to use it for later. So kind of a mix of that regional and that local evolution of energy, I think, will help. So.
0: Tim, maybe you can kick this one off, and I don't know if, Tammy, if you want to add on to it, but, I mean, since you guys use coal as well as natural gas, um, is the concept of diversifying something that is considered that, you know, maybe we'll also get into a little bit of wind and solar? or how are those conversations that are happening?
4: Absolutely. Uh, Black Hills, in addition to natural gas utility and, and generating power using coal and natural gas, we also have wind farms that we pull power from in uh, Wyoming and I believe Colorado. And uh, we also have a small portion further west, I believe we're pulling uh, hydro uh, from the western states. And uh, Seems like we've got a solar farm somewhere, but I I just can't say that with a lot of certainty. But uh, we are very open to uh, other resources as far as utilizing or, or sources that could generate power in different ways.
3: I'll just speak to that briefly. I mean, one of the beauties of Westar, one of the things that separates us as a utility from a lot of our peers around the country is our diversity. I mean, our diverse generation mix Include almost all of it except hydro. I mean, we have the coal and the natural gas and the wind and the nuclear and landfill gas. We have a very diverse power generation mix, which allows us to, to operate whatever's cheapest that day, right? You can you can make that decision based on what the market is. So that gives us a um, a little bit of an advantage, I believe. Um, I also just want to touch a little bit um, on you. You mentioned um, the emotion around things. One of the one of the things that sets Kansas apart from, say, a California is our capacity. We have much—we have the ability to generate much more energy than we have consumers consuming. So anytime we go ask for an energy efficiency rebate—it's a great example Anytime we go ask to do something like that, the cost—we we can never get approval because states that encourage energy efficiency usually do that in lieu of building generation. So we asked to do energy efficiency measures and the question is why do you need to use energy efficiency measures? You're considered capacity rich. So every utility, every state, every situation is so very different and in Kansas that's the position we happen to find ourselves in today. Ten years ago that was very different. We were seeing energy rise and we were thinking how are we going to meet demand in ten years. Then we went into a recession and it fell off. So I just know that it's we are very diverse we have a very diverse mix of generation and that diverse mix gives us a lot of capacity which sometimes proves to be a detriment when we try to get other things uh, past that we feel like will help customers
4: can i have one, yeah. one more comment as far as uh tammy uh, touched on renewables and 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 that is another source of uh, of methane and uh, just within the last couple of weeks black hills has announced that uh, we are partnering with some partners in Dubuque, Iowa, where we're pulling the, they're actually pulling the methane off of the wastewater system, cleaning it up and uh, injecting that into our, into our distribution system. And this is a model that, you, that we are going to see a lot of uh, in the near future, because it just makes so much sense.
0: Um, Can any of you describe issues facing energy storage? How do storage capabilities for utility companies differ from personal storage capabilities?
2: Yeah, I I know a little bit about it, so don't hold me to it. Uh, If someone wants to chime in here, that'd be great. Um, there's a lot of different ways we can do energy storage. We can do a pressurized air system with compressed air energy storage. We got batteries. Probably m- many of you have heard of uh, some of the at-home batteries, the Tesla batteries, where you drive in, you can you can charge your car, uh, and it's it's charged by the the power from your house from solar that's stored in a battery right there in your garage or your house. So um, that's an idea. There's Flywheels. There's a number of different ways that we can, you know, essentially make energy at the time and be able to store it. Um, I've even heard of gravitational, where you take something, yeah, take something up a hill, you know, while you got the power, and then bring it back down the hill uh, when you don't. So um, those are some of the things. I'm I'm curious. I would assume the utilities would be uh, one of the big uh, drivers and innovators. Uh, in some of those energy stores as they develop, as they become and that, cost- that's what I
3: would say. One of the struggles that utilities have is integrating it into their grid management system, figuring out the, the right software and technology that allows us to dispatch that saved power at the right moment, at the right time, right? Because every utility, we all work differently, we all use different tools, we all have different software. So as we work um, with other utilities who are doing that, and again, there's not a whole lot of them out there, when I ask what are the struggles you face, That was one of their big hurdles initially was figuring out how to integrate that in and manage it correctly with regards to home batteries again remember back to that net metering as long as kansas is a net metering state as long as any state's a net metering state home batteries never make sense right if the utility is going to give you retail value for excess generation it would never pay you to store it why would you spend so I keep thinking there'll be a day when we're going to have a battery lobbyist at the legislature trying to get rid of net metering because their technology's not going to have the opportunity to grow and become all that it can be and become affordable as long as the utility is giving you that sort of um, um, compensation for your power.
1: And and just like that, that like many of the problems that face utility companies, especially electric utility companies, a lot of it is regulatory. Um, FERC, which is the federal regulatory body, just uh, came out with a rule that kind of addresses this storage issue, allowing storage operators to be treated the same in the marketplace. Um, so that's kind of how, in a lot of places, the, 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 our energies are big marketplaces these days, and there wasn't really a good way for people to make revenue off of. Not, not that it was impossible, but there were challenges there, and this rule helps clarify that. So you know technology like you said how do we how do we get it to work how do we integrate it what what do we use whether it's batteries or flywheels or whatever that's a challenge but there's also these regulatory issues is how do we recoup our costs um
3: and i will say we will have a one megawatt um, storage within the next year we're doing a small scale one megawatt battery on a circuit that we have some voltage issues so we can we can justify the cost because we were going to have to correct the voltage issues anyway. We usually use capacitors and that sort of thing, um, regulators to change that. In this case, we've got permission from the Kansas Corporation Commission to fund a small one megawatt battery. So we do have an RFP out to try to dip our toe in the water, but figure out how, this, how is this gonna work for us? How can we use this to help us meet grid needs that we have currently today to fix a, a current problem? Very interesting.
0: Um, the Sorry if
1: that's way <laughs> wonky. We can just, I, I will go straight for the weeds every time you ask me a question. I that's apologize.
0: That's okay, we like weeds around here. Um, what are the ways energy is wasted? What are some of the like, big things that, that occur? Yeah, go for it, Susan.
5: Trash. Oh, we, we really need to recycle what we can, reuse, and instead of throwing trash in landfills and burying it and entombing it, what we need to do is burn it for energy. They've got clean scrubbers that can get the material out, but you still, even when you burn trash, just like burning wood in a fireplace, you have ash left over, it needs to be tested to make sure it's not hazardous, but it's a small amount left compared to what you were bearing. So you still need a landfill somewhere, but it would take forever to build up, fill up that landfill if you had an incinerator.
0: I've read about this form of energy. What it what is it called? I can't remember. Waste is. Is to energy. Waste energy. Oh, well, that's simpler than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on that question? Uh,
2: I thought what Tim brought up was pretty interesting. The uh, capturing the methane. Uh, there's a lot of byproducts I think uh, coming out of the uh, the stack, whether it's uh, CO2 or methane or or something like that, to where we could capture it. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about agricultural facilities with their they're waste creating methane. Uh, we're not going to put diapers on the cows, but maybe we do something with the lagoons and capturing that uh, that waste and, and transferring the energy. The landfill gas is a great example. Um, some of those things. Uh, again, uh, what we like uh, as far as uh, solar and, and wind is we don't see a lot of excess uh, waste coming from those. And certainly, certainly the, there are some issues uh, uh, with some planning and innovation we can solve, but uh, for the most part, we think those are pretty waste-free energy sources.
0: Um, Tammy, can you describe spent fuel disposal with regard to nuclear power and the associated economic and I cannot,
3: that is like, nope, I'm just gonna say that now, no, I cannot. I, Okay. <laughs> I
5: won't
0: even try that. One. <laughs> All right. Well, there's <laughs> We'll um we'll keep that in the back of our minds for a little while. Um let's see what uh, the impact of water scarcity on development of energy sources. What what does that look like and the availability <laughs> of disposal method especially um, regarding nuclear power as well. How about that?
3: That's a little better, but you're really stuck on nuclear power, Sarah, Jane. The audience is. <laughs> cl- clearly, nuclear power is not my specialty. But but I do believe, you know, back to what Nick mentioned about energy efficiency, I think sometimes people forget for every kilowatt hour you save, you save water too. and because there's in in just about every form of generation there's some sort of water component i mean obviously in in wind and solar that's not the case but those aren't the bulk of our generation today so for today every time you make a choice to turn the light off you're also saving water as well as electricity because power plants use a lot of water um i did you know at westar jeffrey energy center um they redid the technology there so they're now recycling like 60 million gallons of water have been recycled there it's recycled five times before it's put back in the kansas river i've heard this maybe the sierra club can confirm it i've actually heard what we put back is cleaner than what they take out but um so and and we've also used um technology since um, 2012 that has saved 40 4.2 4.2 billions of gallons of water compared to what we would have used at that coal plant years ago so i will say water plays a huge part in electricity and i think there's a disconnect that people forget that but i know um the investments that west star has made in our own power plants has been to reduce water and to you know again to recycle it as well as we spent uh money doing a uh, a water treatment a, a wetlands at jeffrey if you will so the water that's coming out of jeffrey as opposed to being chemically treated or or cleaned that way they actually built a huge wetland a natural wetland to clean that water um, naturally using different layer it's very amazing it was the first time a utility had done that we won um, several awards for that project but it really took some innovation to think, is there a better, safer way for our planet to clean this water so we used the natural method and created a natural wetland right outside the plant? So I think it's something we're all thinking about. Well,
1: in and, and the question mentioned water scarcity and, and, and how that in, impacts things, and, and while, like you said every most current generation uses water I, I think nuclear uses is quite a bit of water as well although most modern new nuclear plants don't use nearly as much water as you probably think they do they still are pretty water intensive and and it's it's a big deal um, this isn't Kansas-specific related, but it talks to the water scarcity issues. There's been people who have been trying to build a, a nuclear power plant in southern Utah for forever, and they want to put it on a river known as the Green River. And half of the challenge has been years and years and years of legal fights over access to water on the Green River. Um, as, as well as some other legal battles as well. But that, w- that is one of their biggest concerns, is how much water are they going to take from the Green River in an area of su- South Central Utah that's already pretty water-scarce to begin with. And so that becomes an issue when you try to start putting nuclear plants or, or those kind of things in, in places that are already dry. Um, no, yeah.
5: Water scarcity will also affect any of the biofuels if people are growing corn in an area that doesn't have enough natural rainfall or it drops off, do they have to start pumping it from the groundwater, irrigating it, lowering the water table? So there's consequences there, and we've seen that over time. So you you have to be careful about what biofuels you use. Is it uh, native grasses, which they've been working on? Corn is the most common use, and they ship it all over the United States to plants to make into ethanol. So you have to uh, weigh the consequences there.
2: Yeah, I think uh, this question, certainly water as an input, is a, one of the biggest variables that I can think of. Uh, talking about waste and disposal, the outputs, um, something comes to mind when I think of disposal, a big issue that we've been working up at Sierra Club is this injection disposal of uh, fluids left over from oil and gas of drilling activity. Um, and probably, Many of you have felt the earthquakes around this area. Some of you, okay? I have not felt the earthquake yet. I'm <laughs> waiting for one of the days, but uh, that is something that, you know, I think we should enter in the conversation here, is um, when we evaluate the uh, pros and cons of energy, uh, this, this kind of recent phenomenon of man-made earthquakes from the injection disposal of some of the, the byproduct uh, wastewater uh, coming up from getting the oil and gas from down below the ground is is pretty significant. Not, you know, it's pretty amazing that Oklahoma and Kansas are having uh, as many earthquakes as as California, uh, which is, is never would have thought that would have happened. Yeah. You yeah. know. At, at this point, I'd
1: be remiss in, in saying in, in not saying uh, I did a story on this, and you can go to kmuw.org <laughs> and and find it. I did a whole story about the uh, the earthquakes and what they're doing down in in, in Harper County. So, anyways, use.
5: And earthquakes is one of the issues, but the other is, as Tammy mentioned, when you have water that you're recycling and putting back into the system. You're taking surface water out of the system. It won't be available anymore for evaporation into the atmosphere. You're injecting it 6,000 feet or deeper into the earth, and so you're taking it away from that natural recycling.
0: Um, Zach, this is one for you. Uh, What do you think motivates politicians to discuss and create legislation around sustainability issues?
2: sure uh well i think the the comment was uh, mentioned the toughest part about that is the politicians you know uh i think that's my lobbyist joke uh, but um you know I, really i think of what big motivator is going green is getting the green money and uh i didn't include that in what i thought the energy picture might be but it's going to be what can create jobs for kansans what can create a, uh, create an economic industry um, here, and uh, you know, it's, it's been amazing in such a short amount of time uh, how much wind is taken off across our state. Um, that's a cash crop for western Kansas farmers um, where, you know, the, the agricultural sector might not be as good, but that's something that can really help those communities uh, in wind. I always bring this up with the lawmakers that, you know, Kansas is named after the Kansas Indians, right? people of the south wind, right? So we can incorporate some wind, uh, a little more wind um, uh, across the state, but the other industry that I think will create a lot of jobs, um, you know, of course, uh, we got a Siemens plant in Hutchison, makes those wind turbine parts and all that, but we could also do the same for solar. Uh, We have a lot of manufacturing expertise in Kansas, uh, Wichita, uh, we got Kansas City. Thanks. Yeah, and and clap for those people, you know, making those parts and creating the industry there because, and now we're getting some more companies coming into Kansas, but when it comes to solar, we're a long ways off. Uh, I was talking with a a solar company uh, before I came down there, uh, Cromwell Solar, my neck of the woods, close to Lawrence, Uh, They just added 25 new jobs almost overnight because they got a new project at Fort Riley, right? So right now we only have 20 megawatts of electricity from solar in Kansas, but that that project just alone is going to add 10.5. And then you have sunflower uh, electricity out in western Kansas. They're going to add a 20 megawatt uh, solar farm which, I mean, that'll really boost us up. So that's a lot of construction jobs going on uh, and very, very exciting for the state of Kansas. Like I said, we we should really be capitalizing on solar power uh, in our state. We're one of the sunniest states. Uh, we should do more there and, and be good jobs for Kansas.
0: Did you wanna jump in? Okay. Um, uh, this is a question for anyone. I don't know who would a- want to answer this, but if, uh, well, not in that, it's a good question. <laughs> That's a <great> okay. Question. <laughs> if electric cars become widely used, ha- used, how do you think this will affect the energy landscape? Anyone want
3: to? You want to talk natural gas cars versus electric? Um, I mean, certainly we, as an electric company, we want to do all that we can to promote the use of electric vehicles, right? That's another um, something out there using our product. But we also understand it could, it has the potential to create challenges for us as well. So, um, you know, what's it, how's it going to change the energy landscape? Just charging stations alone are going to change the energy landscape. Because someone doesn't want to pull into an electric, to a charge and spend two hours charging. They want a DC fast charger, so that means, a really quick pull on the grid, right? You have to think about being able to charge a car from zero to full in let's say 20 to 40 minutes. So we have to plan, we have to make sure we have the generation there to meet that. So the energy landscape is gonna change just with the installation of of charging stations. And then we have to figure out how do we make sure customers with those cars don't charge at five and six o'clock when they get home. So how can we create an EV rate structure that um, incentivizes them to charge their car from, let's say, you know, nine at night till two in the morning, as opposed to four to seven, which is our peak time. So it's gonna create a lot of conversation. It's certainly um, something we would love to see more of in Kansas and, and are working hard to, to sort of make that happen, but it will create challenges as well that I, I feel like that we're all trying to address. We don't wanna get behind the, the, the curve here. We'd much rather get in front of it.
2: Uh,
4: great point, Tammy. Um, you know, from a Black Hills perspective, we feel that, you know, to support the transportation industry, it's it's really going to take all the energies that we have and the resources that we have in this country. W- w- I think <clears throat> for the most part, as Americans, we're tired of importing oil from, from countries that really don't like us very well. And if we can use natural gas, if we can use propane, if we can use electric, uh, solar, whatever it is out there to run our, our our street, you know, our transportation up and down the streets, more power to the United States. So uh, we feel, you know, natural gas certainly has a, a benefit, electric vehicles have a benefit. I, if you're driving back and forth to work every day and you're within that 40 mile uh, range, you know, you're, you're basically driving for pennies uh, uh, as far as the cost of energy. From a natural gas standpoint, uh, we can do it with the light duty vehicles uh, very easily. Uh, it's readily, it, technology that's readily available. Uh, really, you're using the internal combustion engine, and uh, uh, natural gas is the cleanest burning fossil fuel, and uh, so it does, it does uh, good things for the environment. But where it really hits home is when you start looking at uh, the tractors and trailers that are moving up and down the interstate and putting on hundreds of thousands of miles a year and consuming uh, millions of gallons of uh, diesel fuel. That's where uh, it really has a major impact, and not only on the environment, but on cost, too. So if you're interested right now, uh, if if you were to pull up to the pump here at uh, 29th and Ohio in town, your price per gallon, uh, gallon equivalent of gasoline, is $1.89, uh, which is you know, a pretty good deal today. Uh, and I'm not sure where that, that trend is gonna end up here, just with recent events. But uh, you compare that to diesel fuel, somewhere around 270, maybe 280 a gallon right now. So there's almost a buck a gallon spread. Well, if you're a trucker out there, you really owe it to yourself to look at those economics.
0: Um, This next question is basically about how much energy does it cost to create energy? Um, What are the comparative costs of energy generation between different forms of energy, and what is the most costly form of energy to produce and the least costly? How do all of those questions get weighed?
3: I can speak to our generation. Our most uh, costly form of generation Sorry, it's natural gas. (laughs) I mean, if we have, if if that's the only plant we have running that, that's our most expensive form of generation is natural gas. Um, We just reached a point where wind and and, um, coal are about the same. Coal was typically, uh, well, I'm sorry, nuclear is our cheapest to generate. If we could, if you could think about a bucket of energy that you spent a dollar for at a nuclear plant, that same bucket of energy you know would cost you 17 dollars at a natural gas plant probably it would cost you about seven dollars at a coal plant we're right at a spot now where wind energy and coal energy we call that grid parity we're now paying about the same for a kwh generated from wind as we are as a kwh generated from a coal plant 10 years ago that wasn't the case and i will say that grid parity is as a result of subsidy the 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 um, production tax credits that incentivize utilities to install wind are, is what's made it affordable. But for the cost to generate for us, natural gas is the most expensive, nuclear is definitely the cheapest, and then wind and coal run right in the middle. Um, oh, go ahead.
2: And don't forget, the cheapest electricity is that we save, yeah, the one we right, is <laughs> the yeah. yeah.
0: Zach, I did want to come to you next. Um, if you could talk about laws and regulatory decisions that have affected uh, this issue uh, and our methods of energy production in the recent or, or ones from long ago that are still having a huge impact, um, kind of give us a feel for that.
2: Sure. And anyone else wants to chime in, feel free. Um, you know, we, so we talked about wind and how that's really taken off. We did have a uh, wind energy uh, uh, goal 20% by 2020. And here we are 2018 at 35% wind energy in Kansas, which is amazing. Uh, but it was, I think that leadership, the Kansas lawmakers said, hey, let's put a goal up there and let's try to reach it. Uh, let's make the utilities get at the table and say, hey, How can we do this? We have, where there's a will, there's a way. Um, So that renewable portfolio standard was pretty instrumental in driving the wind uh, energy and as well as other renewable energy forms. Um, There's a question of whether we're going to have an energy conservation goal. Um, And that wouldn't be a mandate, that would be a voluntary thing for our utility companies. Let's try to save 1% of electricity a year and let's try to bring down rates Kansas, unfortunately, has some of the highest electricity prices of any state around. Um, So energy efficiency, energy conservation may be one way we can bring those rates down in the long run. Um, So there's that issue, whether we come up with a goal, you know, a policy change that way. In my mind, uh, we give a bargain to investor-owned utilities and electric, you know, companies, across Kansas uh, p- supply us for being a regulated monopoly uh, sufficient and efficient service. And in the 21st century, uh, we're, it's a little unclear what that exactly means. Could we be more efficient at the utility level? Could Kansans be more efficient at the consumer level? So that's something we're, we're kind of hashing out at the, at the Statehouse too. Um, Those are a few things that comes to mind along with the net metering. What is the fair price to consumers, to utilities, to everybody on the grid for their own uh, homegrown electricity? Earlier,
1: the uh, regulatory issues are, are so important for how any of this happens. I mean, nothing. None of this happens in a vacuum, especially because with the electric utilities uh, and even the gas utilities, to, to an extent, they're they're regulated monopolies. I mean, they, they so so every, mo- every almost every decision they make has to be approved by the the Kansas Corporation Commission. And so, uh, you know, as you were mentioning, that some of the issues with with the solar are. There are some huge implications um, f- based on some regulatory decisions. The decisions a few years ago to allow uh, Star to um, consider distributed generators, so people with solar, as a separate class. Um, they have a rate case before Kansas Corporation Commission right now. Um, since they got the approval to do that, now they're finally asking, okay, now here's our plan. We want to create a separate class. And then what that means is that they'll pay different rates than people who don't have um, district just regular users so so that's a big debate and it's not just a debate that Kansas has had or is having it's a debate that's happening in states all over the United States um, you know and 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 so those kind of regulatory problems not problems it's the wrong way to put it but those regulatory issues are 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 paramount to deciding kind of where the future um, goes because it's not as simple as just looking at economic theory and, well, what's the best way to to change people's behaviors? That sounds good, but politics matter and, and it plays a role in all these decisions.
2: If I may, Sarah Jane, appreciate it. Uh, one, one kind of the elephant in the energy room, in my opinion, energy policy and I'd be curious to hear what Susan has to say about that or Tim, um, is climate change. At, at what point are we gonna have a, a federal or state policy that deals with the, the emissions and how that affects weather patterns and extreme uh, climate situations? I mean, we just got done with one of the coldest Aprils we've ever had, and it feels like May might be one of the warmest <laughs> we've had in a long time. Uh, so whether that we put a price on uh, carbon going up in the air, I think, may, may change things uh, as far as uh, energy
5: Well, you're correct. Uh, We talked about climate change here a month ago. And the emissions, especially when you look at coal and where we get our coal from, it's sedimentary, bituminous coal, has a lot of sulfur in it, arsenic, mercury. Uh, Of course, you have scrubbers in the power plants to help remove that. But you still have air emissions. And so with the energy production, will it affect the local climate or... Since air doesn't stay in political boundaries, what's in one state blows into another state. And it does affect everything. Whether I see anything in, for Kansas in the near future, no. Not at all.
4: <laughs> well, and, and the other thing that I would add is, is it, it certainly is a, an issue for Kansas, for the United States, but it's really a global issue. And until the, the world and, and the countries on it uh, really start taking it seriously, seriously as well. It it it's going to continue to plague uh, the our country as well as Kansas.
1: Well, and and I just like <laughs> I just like to point out, too, yeah, that it's really from a certain perspective, it's fun and easy to pick on coal plants and and some of these other energy producing. Uh, especially for CO2 emissions, and and while that is an issue, the biggest issue is transportation. Driving your car every day is what is putting in ten times as much CO2 into the air than than coal plants. Um, I'm, so, you know, what are we willing to do to help impact the 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 effects of climate change ourselves? You know, I mean that that's a question that needs to be asked as well. Not to say that that there shouldn't be criticism. And, and regulations put one way or the other. That's not my call. But but we do need to look at the facts and what they are is that transportation emissions are way bigger than than coal plants.
0: Um Tim, oh go ahead. Well I
4: was just gonna add that's that's <laughs> where natural gas vehicles certainly can <laughs> gonna help out. Well
2: played. And I think that times come where, you know, we're becoming more health conscious, I think, in the United States And I think there'll be a time where we don't have the diesel-emitting school buses, you know, idling in the school, you know, parking lot, you know, with little kids uh, waiting for the bus to show up. I think, yeah, between electric buses and compressed natural gas, hopefully we can create a a healthier society as well. Some,
5: Some communities actually have idling laws that you can They've stopped the drive-throughs on banks. They've stopped the uh, drive-throughs on restaurants or quick food places. Yeah, and what? And school buses here actually have a limit on how long they can idle, depending on the temperature outside. So USD 259 school buses have made that change already, but more needs to be done.
3: And I know there's several truck stops that have gone to no idling where they're providing electric Uh, plug-ins to trucks so they can plug in as opposed to idle to keep those trucks running all night.
0: Um, Tim, uh, on the subject of fossil fuels and they often get lumped together like that, fossil fuels, Uh, and it seems like people keep saying, you know, fossil fuels are going to run out and then we keep finding more. Um, I want you to kind of kick this one off on how should we proceed not knowing how much more there is? Is there a philosophy there that you guys are following?
4: Well, it, certainly, you know, whether it's natural gas or any energy, we, we want to use it wisely. And, uh, you know, waste is is certainly something that we want to avoid. So uh, I truly believe that we talked about renewables uh, as far as pulling methane off of either landfills or wastewater or, or capturing it somehow, you know, whether it's an anaerobic digester off of a hog farm or whatever, there is going to be potential in the, in the future and I think the near future where uh, you're going to see more and more methane production from those sources. Uh, we'll still continue to drill um, and it, you know, we'll still look at uh, fracking and horizontal drilling to, to uh, uh, make the most, efficiency, most efficient well that, that is available as far as technology. It's it's you know we are as a country we're blessed with with natural gas. I mean we we produce more gas today and we're exporting it as as we speak here, uh, so um, I I think we're in good shape to come. What what the transition will be, I think, is probably anybody's guess.
0: Um, I want to try to rock it through several more audience questions. There've been a lot of great questions from the audience this evening. Um, how does and Tim, take this one if you would as well. How does fossil fuel you? How is it used in other industrial products such as agriculture, ag- agricultural fertilizer?
4: Uh, right. So natural gas is a is a a, is a feedstock for uh, anhydrous uh, as far as producing fertilizer, and there is a lot of anhydrous ammonia that is. Uh, is used for agricultural purposes as a fertilizer. Uh, that's probably the biggest user or consumer feedstock mm-hmm. that I'm aware of. Um, uh, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm struggling other than that as far as that that being on the consumption side, on the production side, again, you know, you have the renewables that I mentioned earlier that more and more ranchers, hog farmers, turkey and chicken producers are all looking at uh, anaerobic digesters on site to produce methane and, and consume it.
0: Um, Tammy, can you answer this one? How vulnerable is the grid to hacking or other intentional interference?
3: So, I mean, that's certainly a question all utilities are, are uh, looking at. cybersecurity, right? Uh, many of you may have heard, what, three years ago, the Ukraine? It's in recent history. The Ukraine, their grid was hacked into by the Russians. that completely shut down their grid. So how do we prepare? How do we protect that? Every utility is um, working together to make sure that, that um, you know, for example, computers in our power plants don't even have a USB port in them because one of the ways they know viruses comes in is you bring in a USB to show your vacation photos or whatever. So um, if we invite a presenter to come to our building, we have a special machine that scans any USB that they're going to use. So cybersecurity is a huge investment that we've made as a utility to protect the grid. That's what we see being one of our uh, the greatest threats we have and so um, we've invested money in the technology and again worked with other utilities to make sure across the spectrum that we feel protected. You know, is it infallible? Uh, You know, I'm sure it changes every day because every time you think you've got it right there's some but he a little smarter, a little braver. And I will say, we're, we're tested all the time with phishing emails, so if, if you send me an email and I don't respond, it's because I'm scared to death it's phishing <laughs> because we've all been, so our IT sends us out very randomly and we have to report it as phishing and if we don't, we get in trouble and we have to go to a half-day session on cybersecurity. I'm just saying, not saying how I know that, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can tell you within West our cybersecurity is taken in fact our uh, Mark Ruwell recently said that in the things that keep him awake at night that was one of the top five and, and making sure our grid was protected and that we were doing all that we can uh, to see to it that that didn't happen uh,
0: two questions that I would like to kind of pair together here um, different, from different audience members uh, one could the city generate its own power by capturing methane from the landfill, and two, is it possible for Kansas to become 100% renewable? And what barriers are there currently to achieving that goal? So, citywide, statewide, anyone want to take that, Susan?
5: Well, I'll say the old Brooks landfill up north at K96, basically in West Street, they uh, have sold methane off of that in the past over to uh, Andell area. Uh, for a company there then that company closed down but they're looking at selling that again so they have sold it in the past and methane from the landfills is the uh, organic material decomposing over time so you'll see a peak and then a drop off they don't produce it forever
3: and you know we use um we use landfill gas from waste management in topeka we buy power off of that um landfill provides i think about 800 homes in the area the question how green can you go well really how much are you willing to spend to get there i mean you know you mentioned the you know an rps standard back years ago when we were required to invest in wind we were cried to invest in wind even though it didn't make economic sense for our customers that was 10 years ago so how how Everybody wants to be green, but what are you willing to pay for it? I mean, that's the big question, right? So sure, can the whole, can we as Kansas be green? What are the barriers? Money, legislative policy, and technology. You know, we've gotta get battery storage right. And then our own personal habits. How far are we willing to go as people to change our own habits to ensure that we have the power there when we need it? So um, I, I, I think sometimes, and I, people associate renewable energy with cheaper and it is not. So you can eliminate coal, if that's what, if that's what the, uh, the policy was today, to eliminate it, you can eliminate it, but those, you're gonna see rates go up. You, you're just gonna see rates go up. So how much are you willing to spend to, to get there is, is the real question.
2: Yeah, I think uh, part of it is investment, and when we make those investments, that's a good point, Tammy. Um, you know, we, our uh, power plants are aging a little bit, um, the point where we're gonna have to start figuring out what are gonna be our next sources. Um, you know, wind uh, is, is one of the cheapest new generations of, of electricity, and I think it's only gonna get cheaper Uh, As we get more opportunity for it, the parts become less and some of those things. Uh, I think the same will happen with solar. And and then the game changer, energy storage, make those really uh, cost competitive. Um, And and that's just an electricity side. We haven't even talked about the heating and cooling side. Um, So, um, And then how much these other states invest when they retire their coal plants is another thing so when kansas retires its coal plants which could be in the next two decades or so um some of them are 30 or 40 years old now or so we
3: retired um, retired 20 percent of our fossil fuel has been retired since 2015 and with the merger we have two plants two more plants that are going to be retired so we're continually going down the path of eliminating right. fossil fuels consistently for the last four years. So, yeah.
2: so I think it's not a if, it's a win situation. Of course, uh, the, w- the points have been well taken that we don't want to um, add, a, add a cost burden to our Kansans. We don't want to try to get there um, faster than what we should let kind of happen naturally. But at the same time, we got to f- kind of create the full cost benefit analysis you know, do we want energy that helps cause earthquakes and, and climate change and, and reduce the water supply, or do we want to invest in those things, equalize some of those things? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and, and when it comes to, you know, becoming 100% energy efficiency, at least in, in the United States, no man is an island, so to speak. I mean, if, if that's going to be the goal, then... Then there's got to be a different way in which the system is set up. And it's kind of going in that direction now, but one thing that we haven't talked about at all, and, and I'll just bring it up, we won't talk more about it, but but is transmission. Uh, if, if we can't have, start having transmission that, that connects the country together, um, then, then it makes reaching that, not that it makes it impossible, but it makes reaching that 100% renewable goal much more difficult if we're not willing to invest in that uh, and, and figure out the regulatory policy for connecting up, you know. New England with Kansas, and Kansas with California, and, and, and so forth, and and you know, the funniest thing is every time I talk to anybody about electricity, or you look at the, the public comments, people love to complain about how expensive their electric bill is, and I'm one of them. I, I hate paying electric bill, but when you really think about it, we pay very little for the ability to turn on our light switch at home, and it comes on, and we don't ever have to think about it. I mean the electricity here is extremely reliable compared to, you know, lots of other places. And and yes, it's expensive, and we, and, and, and you better believe that I'm gonna be covering every single rate case that Westar ever does. And, and if you and haven't
3: followed Brian on Twitter, you need to add him on Twitter today before you leave, because his Twitter feed is always very informative.
1: Yeah, I'm always tweeting about <laughs> random energy stuff. So, so that's important, not to say that we shouldn't try to keep those utility rates in Kansas comparable to our neighbors. But just at the 10,000 foot level, our electricity is pretty cheap. So what
0: are some ideas for individuals to either save money by reducing their energy use, uh, or just to help alleviate the carbon footprint that we're making? What are some tips and ideas that you all uh, would like to share with the audience, things that they
3: can do um, to help? I mean, the thing that comes to mind is is that which uses the most, right? Which is heating and cooling. So, you know, back to just getting your heating and cooling systems um, serviced regularly, changing furnace filters, you know, a degree or two on a thermostat. My husband's gone now, so I can tell this story. But he, my family lives like their his comfort zone exists between like 68 and 72, and anything outside of that, right? He's complaining. So one year it was. Um, the air, we had the air conditioner on, so every day I kept putting the air conditioner up one degree because two degrees sa- I, I saves about $8 a month on your electric bill. So every day I went one degree because you really just acclimate to it. And I swear to God, I got to 76 degrees and that man never noticed it until one day. But I'm like, so see, it's not what we think is our comfort zone. Maybe we need to challenge that a little bit. And maybe we do it incrementally. but. You know if the biggest energy consumer in your home is heating and cooling then that's obviously where you need to look first I would always say if you have money to spend the biggest bang for your buck is attic insulation that that will see you will see a, the fastest and quickest return on investment by insulating your attic well th- over most other investments and new windows no you don't like when no new windows? you I mean new I mean to be honest most of the issue with windows is the installation not the window so before I'd spend a large amount of money on windows, I'd go through and I would pop off the trim, I'd seal around them. You're talking, yeah. you would spend 20 years recovering what you invest in windows. So good to know. windows are, would not be my first thing. I mean, when, I, would, I would start with things that I'm gonna see a better return yeah. on.
4: I would add to, and Tammy raised some really good points, but if you're in the market to replace your equipment, look at the new technology that's out there that, that's energy efficient, and, and make your your service person work for their dollar, have them show you what those potential savings are so that you know it makes or it doesn't make economic sense for you.
3: Yeah, programmable thermostats, right? That's, as people think, and you gotta use it, right? Somebody said, well, I put that programmable thermostat on my wall, like you said, and it didn't change my bill one lick. Well, did you program it? Well, no, you didn't tell me I had to program it, right? I mean, it's not just about putting a digital thermostat on the wall, but using it as a setback thermostat. So when you're not home, you're not cooling a house that you're not at, you know, or at night. So, you know, that makes
5: a big difference if you use the technology that's there the way it's designed to help you. And to change our personal habits, people are in love with their cars. And many communities have car parks in another city, let's say Augusta people coming over here, they would park the cars in one area, and then they have big vans bringing them. Some companies are looking at that for the companies. Some of the aircraft companies are working at vans from other cities to bring their employees to Wichita. So we need to look at the fuel part as well in transportation and how we can improve that, and carpool more, have company vans, and encourage that.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, personal habits, changing our infrastructure is, is big. Um, I also think we uh, definitely need our corporate partners, you know, our companies. To, to They've been really helpful in making the investments in the renewable energy. Um, I'm thinking when it comes to energy efficiency, we have 1.2 million uh, houses in, about, in Kansas. Um, about a third of those are rental houses, okay? So folks don't actually own the the property that they're living in um that's in west star between west star and kansas gas i think about having 300 some thousand customers um together so if we had a, a robust energy efficiency program and we used to have one efficiency kansas where you get a a uh uh, low or no cost energy audit where someone could come through, professional come through, uh, inspect your building or house, uh, business, and uh, help you make some energy upgrades, uh, energy conservation upgrades uh, to your building. Uh, was was, I thought, really helpful at, at the time. A really good program. Unfortunately, the funds got swept, I think, for an ethanol plant, but that's behind us. We can create a really good energy uh, efficiency program in Kansas where Oh, the bottom five, I think 47th or 48th in energy efficiency programs um, compared to other states. Uh, so we can do a better job at some of those things, but it'll, it'll take some help uh, from our utility uh, friends uh, to really lead the way with some of those programs.
3: Well, I just have to say, we continue to try. I mean, that is a, we've tried, we've tried, KCP and tried, we simply cannot get KCC approval for, an enter- for energy efficiency measures in Kansas.
4: And, and the same here as a, as a gas utility. And we do have energy efficiency programs in other states that uh, we should be able to bring those, transport those into, into Kansas and be able to utilize that. But that is a great point. We, we do need it.
0: So facing that issue, Zach, can you give us any other little sliver of hope, how to surpass this? Any, any idea? <laughs>
2: Uh, yes, uh, you know legislators. You know I've been doing this for seven years. They've been so much more responsive to some of these ideas. Uh, I've I got to sit in the audience when Black Hills came in and and gave a presentation to the legislature talking about some of their energy efficiency programs. It was devastating. With Westar and KCPNL, uh, KCPNL's energy efficiency programs got denied, and so I. Th- yeah, I, I think we're gonna get it. The, I think the sentiment is there. People would maybe like to use these programs if they were available. Um, they certainly are in the Missouri side and customers are receiving, uh, receiving uh, some rate decreases. Um, so that's exciting, saving money on your bills. Um, the legislators that I never thought would have been interested in some of this are slowly but surely uh, starting to come around. And that's a credit. Uh, to all of you, their constituents, for really pushing uh, some of those policy initiatives um, at the grassroots level, calling for those, uh, putting some pressure on them, and certainly, you know, if you make that a, an issue, um, they had a resolution this year. The legislature did that. We were going to. We had the highest electricity rates of any any place in the region. We needed to do something about it, and we were going to uh, force you know the KCC to really study that the Public Service Commission, and uh, and that had some votes behind it from both sides of the aisle. So really uh, appreciate any support that you could have, especially in the campaign season. They'll tend to listen a lot more in the campaign season. Uh, really uh, pressure or, or encourage encourage your uh, candidates and, and incumbent legislators to do something about this.
3: Okay. I feel compelled because you've brought up multiple times, we have the highest rates in the region. And I feel like that deserves an explanation because we're here talking about energy and climate change. When we admit our rates are higher than our neighbors, but our rates are higher because of the environmental upgrades we were forced to do to meet the clean energy plan. So it wasn't just West; our rates are higher. These other states haven't got there yet. We, we went ahead, we made the environmental upgrades. The, the, and I think that you'll probably see those follow suit. But yes, our rates are a little bit higher than our neighbors, but those investments were done to have more energy or better efficient and less uh, emissions. I mean, the whole, the, all the money that we've invested in Jeffrey and to have cleaner coal plants has been a result of that.
1: And, and the number that they're pointing to, uh, to say that it's higher, is this per kilowatt price um, retail. And it is only slightly higher than the national average. Like, so it's pretty much matches the national average. So just to give you some context, for where it is in the big picture that sometimes gets left out.
0: Guys, there's so much we can talk about on this subject, but I promised we would wrap it up a little bit early. I made it five minutes. Um, Let's have a huge round of applause for our wonderful (laughs) panel. (laughs) This was so interesting, and it's so complex, and there's a lot more to learn. Uh, And thankfully, Brian is going to be out there covering (laughs) this as we go forward. Yes. Uh, anyway, thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming tonight and uh, have a good evening. Our next Engage ICT event is June 5th. We'll talk about sustainability. So it'll kind of wrap it all together on June 5th. I hope you can make it to that one. Thank you all. Have a good evening. Thanks for joining us for Engage ICT Democracy on Tap. Find more podcasts and videos at engageict.org. This show was hosted at Roxy's Downtown in Wichita, Kansas. The engineer is Torrin Anderson, Beth Goley is the producer, and I'm the host. For KMUW, I'm Sarah Jane Crespo.